And, you know, of course, with Marvel, it was extremely, extremely intimidating to be working with <laughs> this incredible universe where every four-year-old would know if you did it wrong. Right. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Brendan Bradley with the Fifth Wall Forum, committed to bringing together industry insiders from the theater and technology worlds to create new opportunities for new kinds of virtual performance. And today I'm having a conversation with Shonda Sawyer, a director and choreographer and executive producer, reimagining live arena entertainment and media projects for a new generation. Today's conversation is brought to you by the Fifth Wall Forum Discord channel, a robust community of hundreds of technologists and artists sharing job postings, tutorials, upcoming performances, and the home of Artifact Friday, where our mentors and collaborators share artifacts from their own work, giving Fifth Wall Forum members a first glimpse at the latest in innovation and immersive storytelling. Find out more at our website at fifthwallforum.com. That's 5-T-H-W-A-L-L-F-O-R-U-M.com. And now let's get to the conversation. Welcome, Shonda. How are you? Hey, Brandon. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. I understand we are both on California. Yes. In, in, so it's love, love, lovely to share a time zone with somebody. And the heat. <laughs> and the heat as well. Well, that's why we moved, right? For the weather. <laughs> um, jumping right in, you are no stranger to the impossible. As most theaters struggle managing kind of large stage plays or musicals with a cast of maybe 10 or 12, your work has encapsulated massive audiences and performer experiences and I'd love to jump right in hearing about your experience in scaling up live performances and spectacles to such a massive volume. Well, you know, I, I started in live theater, actually at a, at a small scale, dancing on the streets of San Francisco with my older sister when we were just trying to, you know, make money and, and survive. At the age of 14, I started wow. supporting myself. We'd roll out a carpet in front of Cost Plus and um, pull out our gypsy instruments and we realized right away that people are going to leave quickly they've got someplace to go they didn't buy a ticket they're walking down the street you <laughs> right. know so if you don't engage them instantly they are just going to walk on by and i think that that early experience of learning how to create little librettos and emotional content and things that caught people's attention was the best training i could have ever had for the work that i do now because I feel like whatever whatever medium you go into, that really is key. You know, we're humans. We want a human experience. It doesn't the the medium is really the delivery system. And um, at each new medium I explore, you know, I worked a lot in in live theater at a small scale in San Francisco with a cult theater company and then moved into television, worked in network television, and then was enticed back into live when the Ringling Brothers asked me to reimagine the circus. And that was just so terrifying because I had no <laughs> clue. You know, I had no clue. Do I tell the elephants what to do? Do they tell me what they're going to do? You know, what about these clowns? You know, and, and as you say, the scale of it, is so enormous and working within an arena is a completely different medium. We, we had, I guess they had gotten a lot of feedback from their audiences that people wanted stories. They really wanted some sort of a through line to the, to the circus and circuses, you know, whether it's Cirque du Soleil or, you know, Cirque Eloise, it's, it's usually a collection of acts, people that have been honing a skill since they were born and maybe many generations of the family 
have honed this one skill. You bring them together, and it's basically a variety show that you somehow link. Mm. So telling a story in an arena was such a different job than telling a story in any other medium. And at first it was, you know, super daunting. But I think what what I took from that experience and what I continue to use in every medium I go into is you really need to use the power of the medium to tell the story rather than try to fight against it. So in the arena, you have this massive space. So you can do things and you should do things that use that massive space and do things that you couldn't do anywhere else. Things that are, you know, multidimensional vertically and horizontally and can, you know, speed large distances. You can't do a tiny little show in one corner of that arena and expect it to feel like it, it, it's an arena show. And you'll see this a lot when you, when you go to arena shows. Um, especially some of the more recent story-driven or IP-driven, you know, how to train your dragon or, you know, any of these big arena spectacles. The other thing in the arena that's incredible is you see the audience opposite you. You feel the audience around you. And so engaging the audience in that storytelling is critical. And the emotional pace of the show will be set by the audience. And you know, you really have to wrap them up in it and find ways to engage them because it's not like they disappear as in a theater where, you know, it goes dark on the audience side and everyone's focused on the stage. They really are a part of that. So I think every medium we walk into, it's so important to learn how that medium can deliver things in a unique way. And then rather than fight against those things use the power of those things and really figure out how to tell stories and how to engage people using the unique um, characteristics of that medium. So going into interactive and, and virtual storytelling has been really, really interesting in that aspect as everybody who's listening to this knows. I mean, it's a new medium and we are finding ways to tell stories and engage people that are new as well because of the strength of the medium. I'd love to unpack that a little more with you, especially because we've all spent these last 16 months working in this new, weird, virtual way. And you have this unique insight and experience into linking together maybe different acts or different creative cultures into a cohesive show, as well as really embracing these different mediums as part of the show itself. What are some lessons that we could bring into kind of the new realm of virtual theater now that it's more of a choice to go virtual or include a virtual component rather than a necessity? I just keep coming back to what is unique about this medium? What can we do in this medium that we can't do anywhere else? And in a way, with any dramatic form, you are affecting people's thoughts and putting thoughts in their heads. But with the virtual world, it's more powerful. You can put sounds in their ears that only they hear, that maybe their co-participants in this experience don't hear the same sound. So you can funnel it in individually and create something unique for that uh, person, for that participant, that no one else 
in the experience here. So how could you use that, just knowing that that, that ability exists, just as one tiny example of things you can do? What could you do with that? And how can you create an experience that you couldn't have in any other uh, dramatic setting or theatrical setting? I mean, I, I think it's really finding those things. Just as when film was in its infancy, um, people, the first thing they did was film plays right. and they wanted to tell stories. It was like, okay, we'll film this play. And then obviously that medium has evolved because of the strength of the medium and the possibilities of the medium. So I think we're standing at that threshold right now. I love that. From a project management standpoint, what is it like to kind of link together or help so many disparate acts or collaborators work together in service of a unified show? Well, I feel like my job as a director is always a combination of servant and ship captain. You know, I'm trying to keep everyone moving in the same direction and this, you know, huge behemoth of incredible creative minds and everyone wanting to give their best and, and, and sometimes going off in, in directions that are fabulous, but they're not really the same direction the show is going and pulling those, those things back and pushing them together. And then also really figuring out what each person needs from me. I mean, I think that um, in addition to my early street performing career, I spent a lot of time as a bartender and, and uh, waitress. And I think that was probably the best training for being a director that I could have ever had. Because <laughs> sure. everyone needs something from you. You are there to serve them. And everyone needs something different from you. I mean, the circus is so incredible. You fall madly in love with these people. And and each act is a family in and of their self. And then they're part of this huge circus family where everyone's really looking out for each other. And, you know, it's life and death out there for a lot of these acts. And so people really have to trust and rely on each other. But they come, as you say, from many different cultures. They each have a very, very um, serious devotion to what they want to portray and who they see themselves as. And when you're creating a show, sometimes you need them to be a different character or you need, you know, their costumes might be more in line with the storyline of the show is and less in line with how they see themselves. You know, it's just a collaborative process where you have to find out what is it that they really want to feel you know, what is the source of their pride and, and their their image and make sure that you don't try to push something on them that isn't in sync with that because that never works. You know, it needs to it needs to come from from within their own personal identity. So for instance, one of my shows that all of the um, the, the basic premise was that it was the dragon games and all the dragon people from all over the world had come together to create a competition, a tournament of dragons. And so each of these acts obviously came from a different part of the world. So I had turned the world into these four quadrants, you know, the north, the east, the south, and the west. And each of those quadrants embodied a certain characteristic courage, strength, heart, uh -huh. spirit, and really worked with those acts to create a persona for them that was really in line with their own unique persona 
we had Shaolin warriors from China and they were part of the wisdom tribe, you know, from the East and these incredible fiery um, Venezuelan acrobats and they were from the South. And, you know, it was just, it was so fantastic to work with their own abilities and their own unique qualities and yet take it to a mythic level, not putting something on them that doesn't work, but molding them sort of gently into the theme of the overall show. You know, I think that that is a process you go through with all of your creative collaborators as well, finding what really resonates with each one and what's important to them because people give their best and blossom in any situation when they feel that they can truly express their greatest strength and their greatest powers. And it's so important to make sure that they have a place to have real ownership because as creatives, you know, we, we really, 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 really care about what we do and we want to feel fulfilled not just like we're doing a job, but that we're there really growing as artists. So it's important to find a place for everyone where they feel really solidly that they can, they can do that. Absolutely. And you're not only navigating kind of the creative side and the medium side, but then there's, in some of your work, this integration of the technological layer on top of that and what's really possible, thinking especially of the Marvel Universe Live using the projection mapping to really take the spectacle to that next level. I'd love to hear about what led to the integration of virtual technology into your work and what that process has been like. Well, it comes back to the arena, you know, as, as a performance venue. What, what can we do in the arena? What are, what are not the limitations, I don't look at it that way, but what, you know, what are the powers of the arena? And how can we harness those powers to really take this to another level? And, you know, of course, with Marvel, it was extremely, extremely intimidating to be working with this (laughs) franchise, this incredible universe where every four-year-old would know if you did it wrong. If you, you know, you, you portray one character slightly off base and, you know, even the four-year-olds are like, okay, this is not happening. So it was critical that we find ways as a creative team to bring these characters to life in in a very genuine and unique way. So we did a lot of stuff on that show that had never been done before. We had infrared trackers on the performers so that lighting could follow them. Um, we had... Uh, a lot of crazy laser things that we developed just for the show. My favorite was Spider-Man's webs were wrist lasers that he could shoot to create these laser webs. And I remember doing them. It was really cool, but we didn't, a lot of that stuff, you don't know if it's going to work because you're just (laughs) developing it. And I just remember the guys from Marvel looking at me in one meeting going, so this is, what if this doesn't work? What's your backup? 
Mm. And me kind of going, um, yum, yum, yum. You know, I don't, <laughs> well, we really, really think it's going to work. I think my answer was, and in fact, it did. You know, and of course, there's always things that don't work or you find out, you know, the way you plan to do it just is not going to happen. Um, with the projection mapping, you know, this was this was something that was going on already around the world in, in incredible ways on buildings and you know, the Disney castle gets a new projection mapping extravaganza, you know, every couple months. And it's just phenomenal work being done around the world. Um, within the arena, the challenge becomes lighting. Mm. You know, how do you keep that projection visible and still have performers lit? And, you know, it was, it was always, a, you know, just a constant negotiation with lighting and projection to try to get the right balance. And in fact, a lot of stuff that we thought would work with projection ended up not working. Many effects that we thought we could do with projection, we ended up needing lasers. <laughs> we just went crazy with the lasers and found that that really cut through. It didn't matter the lighting. So, you know, it became a much more powerful storytelling device for us to use the lasers rather than projection effects in some ways. But of course, with scenic changes and, and doing these incredible transitions going from dark tower to, you know, to some desert cave where Loki had trapped all of these X-Men in these crazy globes <laughs> and was siphoning off their energy to clone the cosmic cube, you know, stuff like that. We do, we did a lot of big, crazy transitional moments and, and that was just, you know, super fun because we couldn't have done it any other way. And when you're traveling a show, every truck you add to traveling is obviously a lot more money. And sure. So something like projection saves you. If you can do it with projection in a believable and really fun, immersive way, then you win on a lot of different levels. And what for you as a director feels authentic and believable? Is there a certain utilization or integration that you think helps sell it? Or is it really bespoke and custom to each <sighs> moment on stage? That's a complicated question. I mean, Obviously, as we were creating the show, it was a lot of, huh, well, what if we, let's try this, <laughs> right? you know, and we, and we did have a lot of R&D time leading up to it, but not, you know, a lot of stuff was being R&D'd while we were rehearsing. And, um, you know, it was, it was definitely a lot of things that we found out, oh, that's not going to work and had to kind of scramble to find something new. I mean, really, it was are we creating this moment in a way that the audience can understand it and believes in this moment? And, and you know, that answer is very obvious to me when I see it. In your mind, you know, it's like singing in the shower. You have a 12-track recording studio <laughs> behind you. Right. You know, so, but it all comes down to the execution. You know, I always say that I can pitch anything and make you believe that it's going to happen. But if I can't execute that and deliver it, then, you know, that's pretty tragic. Right. So it really comes down to execution. And if you come up against a wall in one way, then you have to just look at ways around it. With a lot of these superhero effects, 
you know, we really believed that our projection effects were going to be phenomenal. And we spent hours and hours and hours combing through, you know, and, and approving or shifting what these effects would look like and then found out that a lot of them just weren't visible if it was in a pitch black room. Yeah. Sure. But that's not the case. So, you know, the solution to that was just, okay, let's just stay up three nights in a row and program a zillion <laughs> lasers <laughs> because right. these lasers look great. <laughs> right. And they did. So, so it's, it really is seeing it. And there's so many tools that you have to make it believable. You know, you have sound effects, you have score, you have performers. I mean, we had the most incredible performers that we'd gone for months around the country looking for basically stunt people, you know, people with really specific skills. I knew that Spider-Man needed basically to be a really high-level martial arts trickster, first and foremost, mm. and that we could probably teach that person to do the aerial stuff because the aerial stuff wasn't going to be as challenging mm. as being able to do those crazy flips and spins and, you know, insanity of physical action. In my show, uh, Captain America is on a motorcycle, and so we needed motocross champions. Wow. And then everyone had to learn how to act, <laughs> which was exciting, you know, and they did an amazing job of it. And the whole story is really told through stunts and action because in the arena, the, you, you know, we have dialogue, but, but you can't rely on people really hearing the dialogue right. or the dialogue telling the story. So, you know, it has to be told, the story really has to be told visually. And I wanted it to be told through action since obviously Marvel is very action packed. Yeah. We've all been a part of things that don't work, and you've described a lot of this balance of kind of pivoting when it doesn't. What is it like being in the middle of deadlines and incredible pressure, and kind of how do you navigate failure? Well, I think you just start looking for solutions and problem solving. I mean, I'm one of those people, I love problem solving. I mean, I realized that about myself, that one of the things I love the most about my job is problem solving. Mm. I just love it. I mean, of course, there's days, you know, when everyone's exhausted and at wit's end and feel, you know, you just feel like, oh, my God, you can't go on. But I've kind of taught my assistants to smile really big and say to me, another exciting creative challenge. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, when you're at your lowest ebb, you can you can remember to look at it that way. All right, we got to figure this out. And I'm also, unfortunately, one of those people that never gives up. So I'll still be beating my head against a wall or trying to find my way around it when somebody, you know, taps me on the shoulder, usually the producer, and says, you know, we could just cut that beat. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, yeah, I guess we could, you know. Right. <laughs> but to me, that's the last solution you know i want to i want to try to try to make it work and manifest it and you know have it come have it come to fruition and you know most of the time it does it's very seldom that you can't find a way to make something cool happen speaking of finding something cool a big part of why we started this conversation and podcast is to allow people to come on and if there's something you're looking for right now actively it could be a weird random resource or quirk or a certain type of talent or technology that right now in your process would help you kind of open up a solution and move to the next a step or level. Um, 
shout it out here and, and hopefully it will reach the ears of the right person. Well, for us in our fifth wall project, we have decided that we want to do pop-up events. Our project is a, you know, very complicated, wonderful, immersive uh, show called Due to the Incident, where you're called before a tribunal of wizards. You discover that not only are you a magical being, but you failed as a magical being. <laughs> and it's because, because you haven't recognized your own innate power. So you've gone this wonderful journey where you discover your own innate powers and learn how to use them and discover that your greatest weakness, fear, or flaw is actually the source of your greatest power. So it's obviously, it's a very complicated concept. We know we have a lot of layers that still need to be worked out. Um, but we do have a lot of beats that we really feel would be so fun for people to experience. And we're looking for places to do them as pop-up events. Art galleries, empty storefronts, museums. These would be short experiential moments where people can experience for instance, standing in front of the soul-reading waterfall, which reveals your true magical character and seeing your true magical character in the waterfall. Um, and in the reveal, you all showed that as an AR experience, right? Yes, it is. It is definitely an AR experience, no headsets required. And so it would be something that we can set up in, you know, like I said, any kind of a, a space where we can control the lighting because it is lighting dependent, um, where people could come in and out and experience this together. It might even involve a, a short, like three question personality quiz before you enter, which will allow us to access your innate magical character. You know, they'd be short so that you're not, you're not committed to a whole evening, but it would definitely bring people to the venue. So it could be a great thing for say a, a downtown speakeasy bar to have off in one room to draw people in. So we're looking for partners in that endeavor, you know, either producing partners who'd like to you know, help us find these venues or just venues. Fantastic. So if you have a and venue. both LA and New York. So okay. Well, are you open to traveling beyond LA and New York? Um, I think so. You know, we'd have to figure out the logistics of that, obviously, but yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I'd love to, if it's okay, to wrap things up, I'd love to return to you and your sister performing those librettos on the street corner. And what would you today, if an artist doesn't have access to aerial artists and motocrosses and lasers and <laughs> massive franchises, <laughs> what do you say to these artists just getting started about how to utilize and leverage either technology or storytelling in this moment to reach an audience and to start getting your work out there? Wow. I mean, now there are so many avenues for people. To, I mean, it's just incredible that, you know, you can, you can shoot an entire movie on your iPhone and post it on YouTube. You can, <laughs> you know, create a, an immersive experience that people can experience, you know, online through many, many different places. I, I feel like now more than ever, just doing it is not only an option, but a, but a critical imperative because you don't get better at anything until you start doing it. 
you know, nobody comes out of the gate doing things fabulously perfect or, or you know, amazing. We might, we might feel like it because we don't hear about them until they're fabulous and amazing and it feels like they came out of nowhere, but that doesn't really happen. That coming out of nowhere is many, many attempts and failures and you only get better at anything by practicing and doing it. We all know that. So if you're driven to do something, do it. It really is just a matter of starting. Well, thank you for doing this conversation with me. I feel like I learned a lot and I've been inspired and just cannot wait to continue to follow your work. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. And now that I know you're in town, we should have coffee sometime. I will take a taco anytime. A taco. All right. He's specific. We will definitely do a taco date. All right. Great to talk to you, Brendan. Thanks so much. Thank you so much to Shonda Sawyer for joining the conversation. If you want to get in touch with Shonda or the Due to the Incident team, you can email incident at gmail.com. That's D-U-E-T-O-T-H-E-I-N-C-I-D-E-N-T at gmail.com. This is Brendan Bradley wishing you a happy Friday, and I'll see you next time.